Welcome to the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. Thought-provoking interviews with interesting guests and commentary on everything. Food, sports, God, gardening, church, politics, music, movies, comedy, you name it, we talk about it. I'm Cody Stopper. And this is Craig Morton. On this podcast, we talk to writers, teachers, activists, and we seek some wisdom. And as always, we are allergic to big words. But not to big ideas. Profound things will be said, but entirely by accident. And we basically, so like, uh, we're, oh, he's recording now. It's yeah. On. Okay. So, so two years ago, I said, just like, it's a dad joke, right? My daughter asked me what's up. And, uh, I said, my blood pressure, <laughs> just that's a joke, you know? And to this day, if I ask her what's up, she says it to everybody now. <laughs> and like, Ooh. uh, I even forget that I said it and I'm like, why do you keep saying that? And she's like, don't you remember like such and such a time ago? And she, but she says it because she's kind of a, a moody 13 year old now. So she's, <laughs> so she's like, my blood pressure. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to say it too. I don't know. That sounds awesome. Sounds, sounds foreboding. Like, like my blood pressure is so high. I'm going to like burst all over. I don't know. Oh, oh, well, by the way, the person telling that dad joke is Cody. I'm Cody. I'm Craig. <laughs> And joining us today is, is my friend, Anthony. How you doing? Hey, hey. Good afternoon. Uh, what is it? Oh, it's afternoon now. Good afternoon. It's afternoon for you. <laughs> yeah. Cody just woke up. It's still like 9 a.m. <laughs> I just got my there. daughter to school about 20 minutes ago. Yeah. Well, glad so, to be yeah. on here with you. Yeah. So Anthony's uh, in North Carolina. And... Uh, so Anthony, um, I think I told you this a little bit, but last last week I was telling Craig a little bit about um, our the conversation you and I had, just a quick exchange on Messenger. Right. By the way, I apologize. When I sent it, of course, it was like nine at night over here, but it was like one in the morning over there for you. And I was like, oh, well, he won't get it till the morning. But then you responded and I felt so bad. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm a jerk. Well, Cody, you, yeah, I'm a... you were up all hours anyway. So you send off emails <laughs> at 3 a.m. And yeah. I know. But... Yeah, I'm a night anyway. owl. So. <laughs> okay, I still felt bad though. Anyway, so Anthony was explaining to me, because uh, I, I just felt, we, I don't know, Craig, if you have ever had this wrestling with, so Black History Month, like I feel like, I don't know the whole, I've not known the whole story behind it. Hmm. I don't know the development of it, how... But it felt like for a long time for me, it was like the bare minimum, almost like, okay, we'll give you this month to placate. The shortest people. month of the year. Yeah. yeah. And so that's how I felt right. about it. So I was like, Anthony, I, I've seen people celebrating and I was like, Anthony, can you explain to me, you know, what it means for you and why it's a, why you don't have that same view that I have about it. And he, and he gave me some good stuff to really think about. So I was like, we got to have, we got to have Anthony on. To that's great. Tell us about his pilgrimage approach to black history month. Oh yeah. Cool. Start talking. Yeah, you're sure. Right? <laughs> so yeah, well, tell us, tell us about how. Well, Cody, how did how do you know Anthony? What's the connection? How'd that work? Well, Anthony. So uh, Anthony, 
like a long time in the early stages of uh, social media, probably before he knew better to filter friend requests. I just said, <laughs> I just friend requested him way back when because Anthony was uh, featured in a book that we were reading, Craig. I don't know if you were with us, I think, in the Emergent Village cohort. We were reading right. the book um, by, um, uh, oh, what's his name? <laughs> Tony, Tony Jones. Uh, and he was interviewing, he had a chapter about Anthony, who uh, was... Oh, yeah. The postmodern Negro uh, is the name yeah, of the New Christians, I think. The New that. Christians. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And I was like, ah, here he is on social media. I'll just reach out to him. And so I've been, we've been friends ever since. And I, you know, we comment back and forth, mostly me, because... Uh, I uh, I get excited about all the things Anthony does, and I'm like, that's awesome when I comment on it. But I invited him on as a guest teacher for uh, a Sunday school thing I do, and he's been part of that too. But yeah. That's what's up. Cool. Yeah. So that's how I know it. That's how I know Anthony, mostly through the miracle of social networking. Right. So, yeah, man. So I guess. Uh, I guess my question, I guess the question to me is, I guess, why do I celebrate Black History Month or? or well, yeah, like uh, you you, told a, you commented about your pilgrimage approach and that really made me yes. curious. Like how do you, mm, is a yeah. mental pilgrimage or what? So what is, what do you mean by pilgrimage with the Black History Month? Sure. Uh, so, um, so for me as a follower of Jesus, um, I'm committed very much to, uh, liberationist ethic and practice and theology and ecclesiology. And so um, I believe that's at the heart of the gospel. Um, God is at work liberating uh, people specifically and especially the oppressed. And so a part of that work of liberation is creating spaces where people's social identities are healed, are um, addressed, um, and lifting up the ways in which people have been crushed, oppressed, but also offering space for people uh, to heal. And so there's a language that people use to refer to that kind of process. They call it decolonization, okay? So when we think about Black History Month, uh, the origins of Black History Month was something that was indigenous to Black folks here in the United States. Uh, it was not something seen as imposed from the government or mm. from the larger mainstream culture. It was something that emerged from organically from within the Black community, specifically uh, from Carter G. Woodson, who wrote his classic text, The Miseducation of the Negro, uh, that was later uh creatively uh, remixed and redone by Lauren Hill, the miseducational Lauren Hill, if you get a chance, there's right. some themes in that book. And so Carter G. Woodson, Dr. Carter G. Woodson was actually the second African-American to graduate from Harvard with a PhD. He initially started out with this idea of finding a way, coming out of slavery, coming out of uh, the reconstruction period, and the ways in which Black people uh, were oppressed and marginalized, uh, this, kind of, this kind of narrative, and the ways in which that, that kind of internalization of white supremacy and racism, the ways in which Black people internalized that, 
right? And so he went on this, this quest to uh, begin the work of consciousness raising, letting black people know that they come from Africa, that they're beautiful, their knowledge. So he's one of really the first pioneers uh, of that kind of, uh, uh, to form a movement around that, right? There's always been movements like that to, to redeem and liberate and heal what it means to be black. Because black folks have always been a people, especially here in the United States, I'm talking about indigenous, I'm talking about black people from here, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, this, this kind of movement uh, we see uh, in other parts of the diaspora, the African diaspora, we see a different kind of movement in Caribbean, South America, other places, um, Europe, different places. And so the way that it's played out here in the United States, we see Carter G. Woodson kind of leading the way with that. And so basically he started out, he was like, you know what we need to do uh, within our own communities, we need to highlight uh, black folks who've done tremendous things. Uh, We need to highlight our cultural history. We need to highlight the ways in which we powerfully exercise agency in this white supremacist culture. Uh, And so we started out with what's called Negro Week, right? Mm -hmm. It started out just as a week, right? And it was, a, it was a way for black folks, it was kind of a, a pedagogy of liberation or, or as Paulo Freire calls, mm-hmm. uh, uh, pedagogy of the oppressed. It's kind of this kind of popular education kind of work that was organic within the black community. So that's the origins of that. Mm-hmm. It was something done organically within our communities. And of course, uh, as time progressed, it expanded into a month. Uh, and what the reason why it was in February is because primarily February was the birth month of Frederick Douglass. Mm. Oh, right? that's and, great to have an anchor there. They're like connected. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And also Abraham Lincoln. Right. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of mixed bag there. But anyway, Frederick Douglass who was an abolitionist. Right. So, you know, people now who are not familiar with the history they say, why well, I got to be the shortest month of the year. Right. 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 That's the reason why. That's why he picked that month. Cause yeah. Frederick Douglass, was, was African-American leaders who had massive influence in the black community during that period, you know, massive, like, you know, it's hard to even compare because we so far moved from his, 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 uh, his time being here. A lot of black folks today and even large, even many Americans beyond that are, don't understand how powerful of an influence Douglas had in the United States and within the black community. It was like a black pope almost, right? And so, um, so that's, that's the origins of that. So for me as a pastor who's committed to liberation, as an activist that's committed to liberation, um, and as a person, along with many other of my friends and comrades uh, in this community who have literally put our bodies on the line for justice in our community and equity, uh, we realize that we have to create spaces where Black folk uh, engage in a kind of radical pedagogy, a kind of soul uh, decolonization of the soul. And so one of the things that we know is uh, when we create rites of passage, when we create spaces for personal transformation, uh, you got to create uh, uh, moments when days are highlighted, right? Moments are highlighted. Uh, like, for instance, Christians, we highlight Easter, right? We we stake out Easter as a specific period that's important. We don't celebrate Easter like we do on Easter, like every day, right? It's a part of telling that story, 
And so I look at Black History Month in the same way that I look at liturgical practices within the church, within the Christian calendar. It's a part of my sacred calendar, Black History Month. And so it's a way that I go out of my way, even though I talk about Black history and culture and folkways all throughout the year, I usually spend, we spend a lot of time with my team here in Salisbury, North Carolina. We actually think about, okay, this coming February is like a pilgrimage for us. What are we going to emphasize? What are we going to focus on? And what determines that is us been listening to the community uh, for all these these past months. Uh, mm-hmm. What are the needs in the community? What are young people saying? And we land in on that. So, like for instance, this year we focused on the gifts that come from Africa, uh, Sankofa, Ubuntu, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. These different gifts that come from Africa. And so we found a way. We use this month to highlight that as a liturgical act as a way of discipleship, as a way to heal uh, the social and uh, identity of Black folk in our community, a way in which to engage further in a deeper way the decolonization of Black folk. So that, that's my Cliff Notes version of why I celebrate Black History Month. Uh, that's good. Have you ever done a, a physical pilgrimage as part of it too? Like, like okay, we're going to, let's go visit some of these uh, uh, historic spaces places that maybe Frederick Douglass or, you know, uh, Woodson maybe uh, ha- are yeah. associated with them. Right. So for, as a community, we haven't done that. That'd be an interesting thing to do. Um, of course, I've been, a, I've been on kind of pilgrimages like that before, mm-hmm. but not specifically for Black History Month. Um, and this is just, just a practice that we've done with our church for the past, uh, it, understanding it as a liturgical act. Uh, for the past probably like four or five years. Mm-hmm. And so it's things that we've done uh, just within our community and within our broader community, inviting people in. Uh, but that's not, that would be a great idea though. We actually, we actually talked about doing something like that. And, and forgive me, actually, we did. We did do something of a physical pilgrimage last year. I forgot about this. We went to the Greensboro Civil Rights Museum Oh, awesome. uh, as a community here in Greensboro, where uh, the Greensboro sit-ins were. We went to that civil mm-hmm. rights museum, brought our young people, uh, elders, uh, other community members who were interested. We all traveled up together, made a day out of it. Um, and people were just blown away by that. So, yeah, that was, a, I'm sorry, I, I told it's COVID brain, man. I, so. I, I, I know. <laughs> And that would have been right. That would have been right before the the actual pandemic. I mean, it was in the news, but actual status of pandemic would have been right before that. So yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, and so we were this year. We were now remembering this now. uh, We were actually planning to go to Montgomery Mm. to Equal Justice Initiatives, led by Brian Stevenson, the, the memorial down to take several of our youth and whoever in our community wanted to go. To, to take a pilgrimage down there uh so yeah we actually yeah we've done that yeah cool. but it's kind of well, new gosh, and fresh was, it, was it a year ago that the movie came out about uh equal justice initiative um the oh, uh, uh just mercy yeah, yeah just mercy what? yeah was it, it was about like a year ago it was about a was year it? ago too yeah i think yeah yeah close. and we wow. and, yeah and what came about for us is that we've partnered with them in our local community we're a local coalition uh, that I've been a part of for the past four years now. Like we've partnered with them on some local racial equity stuff um, and memorialization type things, remembrance kind of projects right. in our own community through the city 
here. Um, so it just seemed natural because several groups have actually gone down there from our city that we've encouraged people to take church groups, community groups uh, to go down there. And it's helped ignite uh, the fire and passion for racial equity in our community. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, okay, so it grew from a week to become a month. See, and you have, this, this is probably why for me, like I'm, you know, I was born, born and raised in the 80s and 90s in Idaho of all places. So for, for and, us- And not was, only that, you were probably in the most monocultural part of oh, Idaho. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for us, it was like, oh, it's just this thing uh, that, you know, a theme that the, cause I, man, I can just remember it like all of a sudden becoming a deal when I was like in, grade school or something like that but but to know that there's decades even before that that right. this has grown and it just didn't all of a sudden land on you know on the school calendar which by the way it was uh, our teachers you know it was uh black history month and they would maybe do a week you know on, on it and uh i don't know i don't know yeah, it's yeah, it's uh, it's like uh, like a lot of things that come out of Black culture. Um, our most radical voices and radical practices, uh, when they go mainstream, they become they go through what I call a Santa Clausification yeah. yep. of the practice or the act. Um, like for instance, MLK. You know, I remember years ago, you know, MLK, who is essentially was a socialist. Um, you know, you see his face on the McRib advertisement. <laughs> Oh, yeah. What? Oh, no, no, no. What? <laughs> yeah, many years ago, like when McDonald's doing MLK type stuff, and they would have him on the help him, you know, King celebrate, you know. Oh my God. Well, you're and right. So it's right. Like, I mean, it's it's yeah, anything so it's like to this... make a buck off of somebody's name because I'm sure there are probably MLK Day furniture sales at local yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. furniture so, stores. You know, here yeah. he was, you know, this radical prophet, especially toward the last couple of years of his life. Right calling for a radical transformation of our social political uh, uh, political economy here in the United States to a dude that people use to celebrate, just be nice to each other. Uh, right. You know, yep. same thing with Black history. Black history was a radical act of decolonization that organically emerged within the Black community. But as Black, as integration happens and it becomes more mainstream, it becomes just simply, you know, cultural appreciation, which, you know, there's some virtue in that. Sure. Yeah. You know, it's good to be made aware of that mm -hmm. kind of thing. But, you know, people don't, are not aware of the radical act that right. Carter G. Woodson was calling for. Because, right. quite frankly, you know, as an activist who's committed to Black liberation, I'm all about people becoming culturally aware. But at the end of the day, um, I don't care what white people think about me. And I don't care what they think about my history, my culture, my people. More, I don't care about, I, I care less about that and more about how we think about ourselves mm. and how we see ourselves in the world. Now, I, as a Christian, yeah, I want y'all to, I want people to love me. You know, I want them to say Black Lives Matter and all that kind of stuff. That's great. But it was not trying to make America great. Like he, Woodson was not trying to do that. He's trying to say Black folks, you are tied to a mighty heritage, a mighty culture. Mm -hmm. You are not what they said you are. Mm -hmm. you so are I hear, I hear, there, there's two really exciting dynamics here. Uh, one is uh, as someone outside of the the African American community, the watching, you know, this February go by year after year, 
um, there's some exciting kind of internal work in that community that I, I do not, I don't participate with at that kind of existential level. It's not about me finding my identity. You know, it's, it's, it's an exciting thing to see, you know, another group of people doing that processing it. Cause I, I do think over the, the years, maybe it's just cause I'm getting older and I, I see more, but it just seems like each February there's more detail. There's more history. There's more, um, nuance, uh, things become more rich as far as sure. that kind of process of historical remembrance. Yeah. So at first it was like maybe, yeah, Lincoln and Douglas and that was it, you know, but now there's so much more going on with arts, music, um, you know, um, inventors, um, sure. appreciation of indigenous culture, you know, uh, and all these things. And that's, that's that, that important decolonization work. Right. And then for me, almost from that cultural appreciation side, as I'm watching this uh, emergence of a rich culture that then has so many, I don't want to make it sound like uh, opportunistic, but it's becoming this rich culture that has so many things to offer everybody else. Uh, not that it's just there to use and appreciate that way, but it's it just... But it, I feel like I have a different experience standing outside of the African American community. Um, I want to cheer it on. I want to encourage it. I'll, I'll, but it's also not my thing. Right. Right. Yeah, and I think um, for me, especially those outside that community, I think as people who desire and aspire to be allies. Uh, to Black folks, I think it's important that they do be students, that they, and they, and they find ways to use their privilege and advantages to, uh, for the struggle, uh, for racial justice, um, for gender justice, uh, justice for Black folks with an X, and I use an X when I say that because that encompasses not just hetero, but also LGBTQTIA Black folks, you know, everybody, everybody Black, right, trans Black, queer black, you know, everybody black. Right. And so I think it's important that those who may be outside that our community, communities rather, um, uh, use that as allyship. And so, you know, one of the things I've learned, you know, th one of the things you probably noticed, I, I like the comment you said about how things are becoming more detailed, more rich, more complex. Right. Um, you know, there's a growing, there's an increasing, uh, increasingly, there's an increased interest, especially by younger African-Americans, younger Black folks, around religious traditions and practices outside of Protestant Christianity, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. As an example, getting in mm -hmm. touch with their more African religious traditions uh, and trying to find ways to get in contact. And that's a part of that deeper yearning in self, Black self within a white supremacist society that said these things were demonic, that these things were heterodox, right? Right. And so uh, Black History Month offers that intentional space throughout the year to really highlight that, mm. uh, you know. And so one of the things I try to do, we try to do is not only just remembering, it's also about a call to action. Right. So we try to do a collective action uh, in our community. Think about the rest of the year. What are some things we're really going to uh, what is what are some things as we think about these things as we reflect, you know, what collective actions are we going to take throughout the rest of the year? Uh, uh, to make these things real in our community. Mm. Wow. Can, can you say a little bit more about uh, defining allies, allyship? Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, cause as, as somebody, you know, as a, as a white cisgendered old guy, I'm used right. to controlling and defining things. That's, that's, you know, my, my job. <laughs> and I know, I mean, that's kind of the assumptions, you know, that, that many people like me carry. Right. So we come in and say, I'm going to be an ally. But the thing is, I, that's really not my job to say, I'm going to be an ally. Right. It's, it's to put myself in places where people can say, you are our ally, you know, and, right. and def, kind of define that for what, what can I do? What's my role? How do I participate right. rather than me coming and saying, I'm going to do this. Yeah. So for me, you know, uh, like, like I aspire for that as a cis hat as a you know, cisgender, hetero, uh, male, black male. Um, like I have friends who are black and queer. Um, and like, I would never go into those spaces and those relationships and say, hey, I'm a black queer, I'm an ally of the black queer people, right? Like, nah, you know, it's about, for me, about practicing proximity. It's about listening. It's about using my privilege as a cisgender male uh, uh, to create, uh, to use my privilege to to amplify voices, to create space, mm -hmm. uh, to share resources, to uh, uh, to uh, relinquish leadership, to uh, and so an ally, someone who had who practices solidarity, mm -hmm. uh, they become an accomplice. Um, they don't and they don't insist that they are one. I never forget. Uh, some years ago, uh, one of the things about our community, which is interesting, you know, uh, last year we got our Confederate monument uh, moved. I was going to ask you and, about that. Yeah. And so prior to that happening, we had, we had five years of organizing, right? Yeah. And so as an activist, you know, you always use those moments that are, that are what I call hotspots, right? hotspot moments in the community to do some deeper organizing. Right. And so for us, it was more just a symbolic act of trying to get it moved. It's also saying, this is the time for us to have these deeper conversations around racial equity and policy, institutional transformation. So early on in that work, you know, as you know, I had white friends, uh, especially white males, uh, kind of jump in there and assert themselves and say, I'm an ally. And so, uh, and it's interesting because black folks also have some work to do with dealing with white folk. Cause you'll meet black mm -hmm. folks that'll let white people say that in their own spaces, right? And so I was in a situation where I was in a coalition with some folks, there were some black folks who didn't understand that, that he doesn't, that this particular person didn't get to do that. They don't get to name themselves like that. And so he had this meeting, he had wrote this letter, public letter, public thing, comment, post, whatever. And it was kind of like apologizing to some racist stuff that happened in the community. And uh, I fired back and it was kind of like, you know, this person was offended. They were like, I, you know, I've been sticking my neck out for you guys. Like I've been, I've, I've been there for y'all. Like I've been I'm with y'all. And so he, and, and so he felt like, you know, he had to go to all these different black leaders that, and all of them were like, oh, we love you. We get it. You know, it was understand. He came to me, you know, I was like, we're talking. He said, man, you know, I'm an ally. I said, no, you're not. He was like, what? But, you know, we've, you know, we've ate, broke bread together. We, I stood out there. I walked the community with y'all and all that. I said, yeah, but if you want solidarity, you wouldn't have done that. Right? You don't get to tell us what allyship is. You don't get to tell us 
how to engage uh, in the work that you're called to do, that we're called to do in this community. You don't get to name this, right? right? Your first job is to listen, learn, and then take risk, mm. right? And like we take risk because my life, my life had been threatened during some of this stuff, right? Um, and not just me, but several other activists in my community, our lives were threatened over some of this stuff. And I said, until you've experienced that, you know, then, you know, we'll let you know, right? <laughs> right? And that's, a, and, that, and that's not just around race, but that's also around gender, mm-hmm. sexual orientation, right. Right. Uh, class, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know if that helps, but yeah. it's somebody yeah. who takes a risk, somebody who's, who's learning, always learning like you never arrive i've had to check several white folk you know i had to check them and and the thing is like i tell myself this is out of friendship this is out of love i didn't really love you and didn't care about our relationship i I just sit around this grin and nod my head like yeah (laughs) no no i'm trying to make you the best ally you can be Mm -hmm. good so in some ways uh in we're in my uh ecclesiological hat what i see what i hear in that is basic you know missiology you know really good really good missiology right I mean, you 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 go and be among people as a prime primarily as a listener uh you you use the word proximity you be there right. um yeah and and you're not there to colonize you know you know the old right. the old missiology um yeah. Huh. And that's the thing. I mean, and that's the challenge for allies of any stripe uh, in our in this country is that we're shaped in because we're, you know, America's a settler colony. Right. And so we're shaped and formed in many ways to be colonizers. Right. Yep. And that yeah. at some level, all of us in some way, well, most of us are part colonizer, part col- colonized in some way. Right. And so it's a, it's a recognition of that, you know. And so, so people like I had, to, you had to give, so I'm, I'm one of those people that have to pay, play the, uh, in my community sometimes I have to play the, the difficult role of being the reality checker to say, okay, yeah, you read a couple books, you know what I mean? Uh, you read, you watch a couple movies, you know, but you just getting started, you know what I mean? And, uh, and so it takes real risk uh, and, and you never arrive, right? You always right. learn. Like even as I like had to tell them, as even as a black man, um, I am always in this ongoing process and discipleship around decolonization. I'm always learning things about me that reveal the ways in which, within my own self, I've internalized white supremacy as an activist, as a very uh, unapologetically anti-racist person that I am, and then put my life on the line for this work, I still have to go through the decolonization process. So I tell my white friends, if I got to go through this still, you absolutely <laughs> got to go through You this. know you got to. Matter of fact, I would say you probably need an exorcism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so no I'm, in a, I'm in a pastor's group uh, <laughs> on Facebook. It's called Small Church Pastors or something like that. And a guy in there, uh, a pastor posted uh, a quote from... Um, uh, I think it was Brian McLaren's newest book, um, Faith After Doubt or something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, it says something, the quote is something along the lines of like, I don't want to win in any way that makes others lose. 
Mm. Which seems like a, you know, okay, in a pastor's place, that seems like it should be a safe thing to say. But he was, he, that pastor got like lambasted by other pastors, like, oh, yeah, everybody gets a tro- participation trophy, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and uh, I, but that made me think of that. Like, that's these pastors are so coming from everything is win lose, you know, like colonization, yeah. decolonization. We have to be the colonizers or we're going to be the, the colonized you know kind of a thing we're gonna be we're gonna lose yeah yeah and that's and that's and that's a part of what i call you know others have called a white supremacist logic Mm -hmm. this strict uh sort of manichaean divide you know it's good bad right and it's like uh and it had to divide the world up that way to justify colonial oppression exploitation of black bodies right it's white it's black right yep and so uh, that kind of logic, helping people move beyond it from a, 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 a either or to a both and kind of thing. That's why, you know, I'm always, I'm seeing signs of hope in the ways in which many white Protestants are embracing the contemplative tradition. Because mm. mm. in many ways, that can be a gateway of breaking out of that either or thinking, you know, but they had to understand that white supremacist logic is predicated upon that either yeah. or thinking. Yeah, well, we're reading uh, the book uh, Cast by Isabel Wilkerson right now. And I just learned in in her book, I just learned that the white as a as a category of division, as a thing, didn't even exist until this country. No one ever yeah. thought of themselves. Well, we're white. No, it was more by country, you know, by ethnicity. Right. And that blew my mind, just how new it is and yet how entrenched it is in our thinking. It's insane. Yeah. And, and how pervasive it is now across right. the world because of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, white, white Europeans didn't call themselves white to the 16th century. Yeah. Like didn't start doing it, you know, and that was still kind of a minority thing. You know what in I mean? It, it, in my limited experience, what I've, what I've noticed is, uh, I think it was when it was li- we were living in Kansas and there was a, McPherson, Kansas, had their Scottish festival, and being of Scottish descent, you'll go and participate there. That place, when in in that grouping, everybody was happy to call themselves Scottish Americans. Yeah. Um, you know, you know. Um, so I'm Scottish American. Cody, you're probably what Dutch American, of you know, or something like that. Austria, but, Austrian. Okay, Austrian. but 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 there w- would have been a time at one point that would have been the way that we talked about ourselves right, right. then become this monolithic uh white. power of white uh, yep. yeah that's an interesting insight yeah and as a pastor like you know i remember uh, about two years ago because uh, we had white people in our church or would be or i call would be white people um in our church and um, say, say a little bit more about what what is a would-be white person Oh, I'll tell you. So I got to tell the story so we can okay, explain right. the Whitby yeah. part. So I do a lot of decolonization work in my discipleship amongst okay. Black folk. And a lot of my work is done within working class, poor Black community, right? And so we have a few would-be white folks that are part of our community. So I'm always talking about liberation and decolonization and lifting up Black excellence and all that. And um, a white brother took me aside. He had been a part of our community for about a year at this point. And uh, he was just drawn to what we were doing. And he was like, Pastor, you know, um, I see the ways in which you call and convene black folks in this community. 
you know, what do I as a white person need to do along these lines? And I said, well, you got to learn how to stop being white. And he was like, what? I said, you do realize that there really is no such thing as that. It's actually nothing. Right. And he's like, what? I said, white is a social identity that was a, that was created to be superior over mm-hmm. all those who are non-white. I said, I said, who are your people? He said, my people come from Britain. I said, what part of Britain? Because that's that's tricky, right? Yeah, right. And he tells me, and I said, oh, that's your people, right? I said, if you go back in history, those people didn't call themselves white till they came here or somewhere in the 17th, 16th century. I said, so a part of discipleship, I said, honestly, I said, a part of you living into your baptism is learning how to unbecome white. That's a part of sanctification. Love that. That's a part of, that's a part of becoming holy. A Ooh. part of being becoming holy, coming into the image of Christ is, is learning how to unbecome a white person. Mm. Right? Just like you try to work on, you know, stop saying bad words and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, don't look at naughty pictures. Going to the club, <laughs> naughty pictures, and you know, uh, all this stuff, this moralistic stuff that people Christians be obsessing about. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you got to your, your holiness, your your walk with God is the part of that process is like unbecoming white. That mm. uh, he's just blown away by that. Just yeah. and just like the early Christians, right? So a part of being a Christian in the earliest Christian communities, it was about unbecoming Roman. Yeah, yeah. Right. Because Roman was a kind of a social yeah. identity that was oppressive in many ways. Mm. Right. You see this work with like, uh, you know, you hear the stories of in, in the earliest Christian communities uh, when a Roman centurion would become a part of the community. Right. In order for them to take communion, they had to relinquish their weapon. They had to relinquish the act of going to kill the enemy because yeah. a Christian, you're called to love your neighbor, not kill them. Right. And so literally Roman soldiers who had converted to the faith, they were going to battle. And that's where chaplaincy comes from, the whole idea, right? These are people who converted to Christ, but they were still in the battlefield, but they refused to kill other people, oppress. Mm -hmm. So it is European Americans who are Christian in the United States, a part of your job is is relinquishing whiteness. Mm. Mm. Oh, gee, I love that. Yeah, now oh, so, I had a different okay. sermon planned on Sunday, but okay, I get it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I think I can make that squeeze into the text. I don't know. And now, see, that is now, so good. The thing is, it's not just your; it's all humans in this culture, right? Because right. because black folks have to extricate. Uh, we so one of the first things we learn in anti-racist work or anti-oppression work, especially for black folk, is. One of the first steps for us is to say that we are not white because we're taught that this is what the norm is. This is right. what the standard is. This is the right. gold standard, right? This is the gaze as, as Dr. Cornell West talks about, the normative gaze of whiteness, right? So even within black folks, like understanding that, and we see this even within a black community with colorism, right? So like for me, I have privileges within the black community because I'm light-skinned. Right. Uh, some people will see me as safer mm. because of the way I talk and the way I look. Mm. Right. And so, you know, you know, so there's 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 some there's, there's some there's some division with even within the black community around that. 
And wow. so a part of that work is, is so the work of black folks decolonization is relinquishing a whiteness that has gotten into us. Mm. So it's not just the work of European oh. folk or would be white right. people. Would be, would be white people. I like that. I love That's that. Uh, I'm writing that okay. one down. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. Okay. So Anthony, we had a slot of other stuff to talk about too. Did you want to join us to talk about those or you got to be somewhere and do anything? What y'all talking about? So we're gonna, uh, we, we, we got some po- politics to hit. We got a, a sports item to hit. And we want to talk a little bit about uh, one year of COVID-19 too. So, Well, yeah, one uh, year of COVID-19. But I think a segue piece is also remembering it's one year since uh, Ahmaud Aubrey. Today, one year. Yeah, today is the day. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I posted um, that earlier. Yeah. And, and being part of the um, track and field community, um, so many around so many runners, that that just uh, is one that strikes deeply for a lot of people right um, and because and so a lot of a lot of folks in the track community you know started doing the you know i run for a mod kinds of stuff and Oof. getting behind that but it, it's one that kind of uh, impacted my little uh, niche in the world uh in different ways uh, especially for our you know our um, athletes uh, you know who are people of color yeah yeah yeah, I remember when that kind of that started, stuff started happening. I remember when folks, um, some of the more uh, woke folks, were really upset by that. They're like, man, you, you know, this is more than just a symbolic act. But my thing was, as somebody who's engaged in this work for almost two decades now, you use everything mm. to get people into a deeper place of solidarity, right? right? As long as people like, you need on-ramps like that, Right. But you got to get people to a, a radical pedagogy of transformation where they begin to practice risk of faith. They begin to engage in changing policy and redistribution resources in the community. Because right. uh, if you just stop at just the symbolic act or just the these kind of actions, uh, then, yeah, you kind of right. we do. Yeah. But those are good on ramps, man. Those are good. Yeah, it's like a, it's, it, it, you don't want it to be an on ramp to the freeway and then you pull over on the shoulder and watch things go by. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Good. Yeah, I, I, I know that at least in our area, we've been fortunate to be able to find ways to engage and to to actually get into that onto that freeway system with, right. with, with primarily one new organization in our area, but um, that's strongly connected with the community, with policymakers, as well as athletes. And it's like a great mix for us. Cool. That's what's up, man. Yeah. Yeah. It, when uh, I saw that today, it is hard to believe it was I can't decide what I feel like as long as a year ago or as short as a year ago that I'm on. Time, time was weird this last year. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, so man, time shifted. Yeah, yeah, it was some weird string theory kind of moment, man. That's <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> From time. Yeah. Where does anyone know where that the status of that is the the case and the, everything? Uh, the, I believe the the uh, um, what are their last names? Michaels, McMichaels, or yeah. I believe they're in jail, but they haven't had a court date set. Right. Uh, and that's that's hard to imagine a year later that there's no court date set on a on a murder um, arrest. Um, so, yeah, I I I can't I I I don't I I did I read some articles on it, but I didn't get a real clear idea of what the delay is if it's just court space because there's no jury trials in some places right now. Right. Um, so. Mm. Well, yeah. 
And so I'm, yeah, I actually got to go because I'm actually in, uh, I was on my lunch break for this. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm doing some housing justice fairness stuff in our city. And so okay. I'm wearing those commissions That's to make cool. sure we have just and fair housing in our community. So I got to yeah. get back okay. be a part of the brainstorm for that. Do you have time for five quick questions that we ask every sure. guest? Okay. So question number one, Anthony, what are you drinking? So what's your go-to drink or what is your like, hey, this is my new drink of the month right now that uh, I think everyone should try. What are you drinking? Water. Why? There you go. Stay yeah. hydrated. There you go. <laughs> okay. What are you reading? Uh, what's It could be an essays or a blog or a book or yeah. news article. Yeah. So right now I'm reading a book called Liberation Psychology. Oh, who's Liberation about? Psychology. Um, oh, it's, it's, like a, it's, it's a multi-author okay. kind of thing. Like a gotcha. group of essays. Okay. Gotcha. Yes. Cool. Liberation Psychology. That's sweet. Uh, what are you watching? So binging on Netflix or a documentary you think everyone should watch or a YouTube channel that people should Yeah. Watch? So I've been watching on HBO Max. I've been watching this series called The Warrior. Oh, I haven't heard that one. Yeah, it's interesting. It's about that whole dynamic when Chinese Americans were here in San Francisco in the early, in the late 19th. Uh, 19th century with the, the railroad and yep, all that really mining and yep wow yeah it's like it's really layered it's i mean it's action karate and it's based upon the stories that bruce lee were trying to that bruce lee had kind of was writing on working on oh it's, awesome. based, on, it's based on some fictional work that bruce lee was working on before he died oh so, that's incredible interesting yeah so it's it's like it ain't all deep you know what i mean but it's just good <laughs> It's good. Oh, that's cool. It's good martial arts type stuff. Oh, I love that. That's cool. All right. What are you listening to? New music you're spinning, old music that you rely on, or podcast maybe that you check out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, man, dude, so I I am, I listen to everything, Mm -hmm. uh, but one dude I've been listening to, uh, and I've been fascinated by this whole scene, um, and um, uh, there's there's a composer uh, who's a minimalist, minimalist composer. He's a pianist. His name is Jope Beving. And he's actually, uh, I think he's Norwegian, actually. Okay. And so what I've discovered, like, there's this whole vibrant jazz scene in Norway, right? Mm-hmm. That's, like, dope. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they, they make some good stuff, man. So I've been listening to a lot of Jope, uh, J-O-E-P Beving, B-E-V-I-N-G. And uh, oh, I just love awesome. this stuff. The way a lot of dark it. nights, good stuff for jazz in 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 the Scandinavian countries. <laughs> that's right. That's true. It's dark. It's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I just love it. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. And last question. You've you've uh, survived the hot seat so far. Here we go. <laughs> Craig Craig and I show up in Salisbury, North Carolina. Where are you taking us for dinner? Wow. Uh, Caribbean Island Cafe. It's a great Jamaican joint uh, here in Salisbury. Black-owned business. Uh, they got some good Caribbean food. That's the first spot we'll go to. There's many others, but that's oh, the first yeah. spot. I like that's he awesome. says first. There's others. So it's like <laughs> <laughs> first one just kind of bounce along. Dinner, right. second there's, dinner. There's Bellies. There's Bellies Soul Food Joint. That's just opened up here like several months ago. Um, yeah. Oh, that's so, awesome. That's and good. before you go, how long have you lived in Salisbury, North Carolina? Uh, 11 years now. 11 years, right on. Yeah. Do you grow, uh, grow up in North Carolina? 
No, I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. That's another oh, whole story. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have you on again. All right. Thanks, yeah. Anthony. So, Anthony, it's good to meet you. Thanks for spending Likewise, some time man. with us. I'm guessing Cody probably has some of your contact information oh, yeah. or way to, ways to follow you on social media. We want to make sure we post that so people can uh, keep up with what you're up to. Yeah, great. Uh, and something really cool, too, that happened uh, recently. If you get a chance, there's a good book. There's another good book I've been reading. The Devil You Know by Charles Blow. Okay. Right. And it was cool because it's, it's taking the world by storm, right? He's, he's actually suggesting the provocative idea that Black people do a reverse great migration, that Black folks move back to the South and take over seas political power. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so I, I said it because uh, I was in a book, I was in a coffee shop reading this and my daughter, who's an excellent animator, cartoonist, she captured me, did an animated drawing of me reading uh, the book. That's, and, that's, your, uh, that's your image on there, yeah. Yeah, so I tweeted it and I tagged Charles Blow on it and he Ooh, retweeted it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. when you see my, uh, if you go to Twitter, uh, you'll see it. Uh, Postmodern Negro is my handle. And so, yeah, I retweeted that. Anyway, when that's you mentioned awesome. social media, I thought about that story. That's cool. Awesome. Charles yeah. Blow, the devil you know. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Anthony. Well, thanks. thanks, Anthony. Right, so good to be with you. Go. Blessings. Blessings. Go Bye -bye. get into good trouble, my friend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Wow, well, what a good, good guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I should have I, I, I should have mentioned that he was postmodern Negro from the book. You'd have probably, oh, yeah, okay, I know. Yeah, uh, I, mean, I have heard. I've, I've definitely heard that handle before, so. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that's good. Oh, man. Okay, well. There's oh, so what? much stuff in there that is huge. I know. I, I know. Mean, I know. Uh, the, I, the issue, the, the couple of things. One, thinking of it as, thinking of the, the, the month as like Easter. Yeah. So yeah, every Sunday when we get together, we proclaim the resurrection. I mean, that's part of why we get together on Sunday. Sure, right. But we do have a big blowout around There's Easter. Big really emphasize yeah. it. Mm -hmm. And so the question is, okay, we got a big blowout for February and Black history. How do we keep a little bit of a going throughout the uh, year? Let year. the big thing happen in February, but don't just go, oh yeah, that was February's agenda. We don't pick it up and talk about it for yeah. another 11 months. Yeah. So I, I'm just glad I, you know, I, I kind of started to learn the history of it, but I honestly, like as a kid in Idaho, in elementary, all of a sudden it just being a thing. Um, I can remember, you know, adults, of course, white adults in our, well, that's pretty much all there is in <laughs> Southern, but, but talking about, oh, just, it's, that's just that political correctness they've got to do. So for me, it was always like, about a capitulation, you know, type of thing. Like, okay, well, we, but of course I yeah. would think that from my perspective as a, you the know, colonizer. where I grew up. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Okay. Colonizer okay. mentality. It's like, right. We, we, we let them have it. We let them, we gave them, <laughs> right. we gave them, we gave them February. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, it's, a, it's a, I love, I, I'm glad to connect it with a story. Yeah. Um, and see, I, so for, uh, I'm not, I'm not lying. I'm pretty sure maybe one or two teachers when I was in elementary did a little bit more in depth, but I can just remember, you know, it was basically a week and we learned about uh, basically every year it was, you know, Martin Luther King, George Washington Carver and uh, Booker T Washington a little bit, you know, yeah. that, was, that was it. Those were, that's all we. <laughs> now from when, when did it become a nationalized thing? And that's why uh, I think it became a national. I think it was either Reagan or or George H. W. Bush. You know, maybe so we're talking about the late '80s, early '90s. Yeah, somewhere in there. Yep. Yeah, you because know, 
you know, looking at where I live now compared to where I grew up. So when I grew up in, in uh, Tempe, Arizona, it was a, it was much more multicultural. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah. There was a large concentration, especially in our area of, of Asian Americans, mm. because about three miles, five miles, was it maybe, maybe about five miles or so to the West was the borderline for the internment camps. Oh yeah. And so people, if I, if I remember the history correctly, if you live, for instance, on the West side of Phoenix, you're in an internment camp. If you live on the East side, you were, you were safe. Um, and so, but there were internment camps that became national guard armories and other, other facilities after internment. So it was all around. And so there was a, there was a, a, a significant Asian community you know, where I grew up. Yep. Of course, there were a lot of Mexican Americans and also indigenous people. Yeah, uh, where I grew up. So it felt pretty rich. And then as I was growing up, it's probably in the, you know, sometime in the 70s, folks from um, south, the, the American South started coming over. And we ended up actually having uh, the first black people in the neighborhood. Mm. And it was a bit of an issue, you know, is this okay? I remember some of that controversy and not understanding why it was an issue at yeah. all. <laughs> but that's, that's when my, I was so proud of my sister, because she, she showed herself to be a uh, a strong, um, more of a, oh, what's his name? Kind of a John Brown from Kansas oh, yeah. kind mm -hmm. of person, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because uh, her her she found at at recess one time her black friend was crying and she asked her friend why are you crying and and she explained that somebody had used the N word and knowing the person who who said it my sister went and decked him <laughs> oh. and gave him a black eye. Much later on, he became a uh, somewhat famous um, broadcaster, athlete, um, et cetera, coach. And every time I would see him on ESPN or whatever else, I just kind of remembered my sister decked you. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But, but, you know, that was, that was just the beginning. It still it was a much more uh, rich multicultural experience than here in Idaho. Oh, and I think yeah. sometimes it, so. So these, so I, I think I knew a more about Black history growing up there without Black History Month being identified. Right. And then here, I think still some of the curriculum that our kids had when they were young was still some of that, you know, um, the Santa Claus of Santa, Santa, Santification. How did he put it? Yeah. Santa, yeah. Santa Clausification. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, oh, for real. So. Yeah. Uh, did you know, did you hear though, by the way, uh, in Utah, I, I'll have to check. I wonder if it vote passed or not, but they were going to vote on a measure. I don't know how serious it was, if it actually got proposed as a legitimate piece of legislation to get voted on, but it was proposed. Okay. If uh, allowing um, parents to let their children opt out of black history month, uh, stuff during the <laughs> during i'm gonna february. opt out of february like, what <laughs> you know how you do you know like okay sex ed all right so right, opt yeah, out yeah. or we're gonna watch this pg-13 movie so you know you could opt out yeah they're like let's make oh my god that is so that is so wrong on so many levels oh. pedagogy it's wrong oh yeah oh my gosh oh. i think anthony it might have been anthony uh shared that little bit of news and then said you know okay as long as we can opt out of white history the rest of the, <laughs> the year oh you just make it fair sure make it fair. you know it's like 
can you imagine what the what the chart looks like in that school you know like we had one around the around the border of the chalkboard there was the presidents of the united states and you see you know you know 42 43 oh there's no 44 <laughs> we opted, um, we opted out <laughs> You know, then Mar- that I guess when March comes around, you can put a picture back. I don't know. Oh my gosh! Oh my, that's just insane. Yeah, but that's yeah, the was... kind of thing I'd expect from Idaho, not Utah. Utah's I... so much more progressive than we are. <laughs> yeah. They're they they sometimes compete against each other. I think. I well, but they have they have legalized medical marijuana in Utah for like two years now. That's true. Right in Idaho, and, and we're still... trying to write a constitutional amendment that no psychoactive drugs will right. ever be allowed in the state. Not even medicinal. Not, yeah. not even just drugs. Psychoactives. Yeah. Oh, so in other geez. words, you it wipes out hemp farming for you yeah. know paper manufacturing. It wipes out mushrooms of a, var- a variety of types for i mean mushrooms certain mushrooms are better are the best medication for oh, yeah. uh, depression yeah it's like ah anyway yeah so that's where we live utah gets mushrooms and they get they get medical marijuana <laughs> we get we get guns and we get that's about it we get yes know. that's we have we, oh yeah uh, we also got militias so yeah so now did you see there's a second city it's not just one now there's two cities that have declared themselves a second amendment sanctuary city in idaho well, no one is eagle idaho which is right here in the boise area <laughs> i'm guessing the other is what Coeur d'Alene? i it's some small hayden? town like yeah it, I, it could be hayden might be the other one yeah it yeah. could be oh geez it's like seriously so speaking of states, states. Texas, St- Texas. Yeah. So Texas, Texas is just outstanding. So here's, so I was, <laughs> so you, I'm, I'm sure you've heard about the $17,000 electrical bills and stuff. Uh, isn't that nuts? So in that whole bit, um, there was a, I mean, well, just, yeah, just on, just on the problem itself. And I heard this one on, um, NPR yesterday, but I mean, I heard about it developing, but here Forbes magazine reported on the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. Yeah, ERCOT. I love that. Electric reliability. <laughs> yeah, right. Doesn't. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> uh, and the, the prices, you know, went up to somebody had a bill. This is for one week of $17,000. That's insane. And um, I'm trying to find where it was, but so by comparison, just for context, I mean, you can see it on the screen here. Here yeah. is my, uh, the, what, what, what we pay for, what we used to pay. That's a whole other story for electrical <laughs> energy. Uh, so the price cents per kilowatt hour is 7.8 cents. Okay. 7.9 cents, basically. Yeah. So in, in Texas, while this was going on, emails went out to customers saying, in 13 minutes or something like that, uh, these new rates will take an effect. So take your opportunity now to go find another electric supplier if you want lower <laughs> rates. That was the warning they had. And if you're out, you might not have even seen that email. And all of a sudden it bumps up to this incredible rate, you know, of thousands wow. of dollars a day. Wow. That's insane. So, so in the free market mentality, if you don't like oh, the price, go shop for a better price. Was, I'm so, I bet they're so glad right now they're not part of the federal <laughs> grid, which could control that pricing. 
Oh man. Oh that, it, crap. And here's the sad thing because yeah, it's to me it's the, the same, a very similar issue as so many other things that are plaguing our country. In Texas, you know, people will say, well, the people didn't ask for it. This is the corporations, the poly, you know, the the lobbyists, et cetera. It's the same story at the federal level. Oh yeah. Uh, my hunch is it's the same reason we, we're not going to have marijuana or psychoactive uh, plants in Idaho. It's because pharmaceutical companies don't want oh, yeah. to, you know, have any competition with something they can't copy uh, trademark. Right. Um, people aren't aware enough of the consequences of these polished, you know, marketing plans to oh. counter it. Right. And so uh. be, people might vote for it, but they don't know what they're getting they don't exactly i mean yeah they don't they haven't done the market impact research and you know they don't have access to that it just sounds like a good yeah. it fits with an ideology basically that i support and or seems to they're presenting it as right. if it does and so, uh yeah so i mean partly it's a huge political issue but the other thing that's really interesting is the the community response mm. you know, how are people you know dealing with it uh, well, <laughs> uh, some 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 people some people just choose to suffer with their neighbor. Some people do. Some, yeah, people, some people some people <laughs> take a trip. Some people book a flight to Cancun. You know, I don't know who, but Somebody I've heard that rumor. I've heard that go on a cruise. <laughs> oh man, dude. So yeah, actually, um, yes. Dude, I've always loved, I think you, I think we've talked about, I've always loved Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, right. but, but oh my gosh, like that's, that is what you want, man, from a, a leader. And she's, that's not even her people, dude. That's like, I know, I know. And so she, so, it's like, it, I wonder if there was something on her radar that went, you know, there's like a little, like a new notification on her phone that said, Texas is down one uh dc delegate uh there's an opening go <laughs> fill that gap so she she you know goes down there and in one day forgot what was the number what was the amount five of money mi- five million dollars yeah to, to to meet these needs it's insane that's, uh, power, that's dude. it's beautiful wow that's so good yeah, how so- interesting is it too okay i didn't even think about this angle till now AOC and Ted Cruz would both be are both uh, children of immigrants, right? And uh, not you know their lineage would not or their family didn't wasn't from from here, right? So Ted right. Cruz were from Canada but via another country, right? Wasn't it uh, via Cuba? Yeah, that's right. There you go. Yeah. And AOC port is it Puerto Rico? Puerto Rico maybe or Dominican Republic? I can't remember. I- I'm not that familiar with her, her, her lineage story, <laughs> but yes. So, yeah. Uh, so she goes and she helps. This is, Oh, I, yeah, I don't know. There's just something there. And I know I've seen cynics, you know, being like, it's all for, you know, political clout and gain and whatever, setting up some future thing. I, I don't know. I mean, if, think about first, here's a woman who, who has received from that state, hate and um, oh, right. death threats and has just coming off of a month ago, a traumatic experience of, you know, like this could be it. 
So I don't know. I mean, cynical, I don't know. Cynical reason. I don't know. There's still bravery and cur- courageous. Uh, cur- what's the word? <laughs> Courage. Uh, and leadership in her, yeah. in her actions. It's just beautiful. It's servant leadership. It's amazing. Yeah. It's, it, it's a great, it's a great um, um, example of what happens when somebody takes the idea of representation to a greater degree. Yeah. I mean, of course, she is directly um, responsible to her constituents. Yeah. But in a federal office, she also has kind of a federal rep- uh, that's representation. Right. Yeah, that's right. And so it's not like she went out of bounds to go support people in Texas. Right. Ah, um, oh, that's good. That's so but, good. But I mean, well, but but Ted Cruz explained his issues and what happened. It was his daughter's fault. Oh my gosh, this guy, dude! How do people vote for this guy? You know, he he. Oh yeah, and so he barely, you know, he barely oh, yeah. beat um, Beto. Yeah, and and <laughs> the day things started going bad in in um, in Texas. Beto O'Rourke had already, I think, said in that first day, he and his organization had made 250 contacts with people who are in need. Yep. Um, did I say 250? 250,000. There yeah, we go. 250,000. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, he's, and not, he's nothing now, right? As far as elected official. He's, he's right? just a guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, hope, hopefully he's, I mean, he he's not a dumb politician. No. Right. Beto O'Rourke. Um <laughs> Cruz, Cruz is a dumb politician. Yes. <laughs> uh, he doesn't have to think in order to get reelected, but I don't know. Right. Maybe, yep. I, maybe I'm getting too political. Uh, who knows? Anyway, so that's that. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was so um, <sighs> to, funny, as, yeah. as of uh, men- mentioning just in brief, uh, I think this is kind of cool. Um, I, I did say that we, we no longer pay those rates to Idaho Power. Yeah. As of yesterday, um, we actually are running on um, solar, almost not not entirely on solar. Yeah, but our solar panels clicked in; everything's working. And um, uh, yesterday, at one point, we were generating more electricity than we were using. Oh yeah. Jeez. And if that were to happen, and I, I we don't I don't know that we've got it installed, um, but one of the things that you can do is there's a switch that you just switch. And it takes all your collected solar energy and it puts it into one particular outlet in your house. So if you do have this uh, power failure, you can at least have one source of electricity in your house. Right. It's like, that's not a bad deal. That is a good deal. Yeah. I don't know if it handles a refrigerator or, you know, or the (laughs) the electric stove, we probably have to make choices. (laughs) Maybe charge your phone. Yeah. But yeah, you know, that's, that's kind of a cool option. Anyway, that is cool. I like that. Yeah. Ah. So, so we had a whole list of really interesting yes. things to talk about. Yeah. And I, I think do. it's a perfect segue to, to go from talking <laughs> about, you know, this uh, wonderful, right. uh, the, these two incredible uh, Latinx uh, individuals in Texas and New York. Yeah, there you go. And, and keeping that solidarity theme, moving to and the place. Cause this is why I want to talk about this. Fernando Tati, Tatis Jr. There you go. He We're is talking a, about Padres. That's the Padres, Padres actually baseball. someone to talk about. Yeah, they actually, thing. it's very cool. Their uh, their fortunes are definitely turning around and it has to do a lot with this this kid. 
uh, 22 years old is on a, he's only played, he hasn't even played officially a full season of games. I mean, technically a full season because whatever last year, but whatever that season was, (laughs) he's only played 143 games, but he's already like people, he is the, he's the the star of the Padres and he's probably going to be the star of the league for a long time. And he, this is what's the cool is why I want to bring this up yesterday, officially signed his uh, contract a 14 year deal with the Padres. He's 22. That means until he's 36 years old. Right. That's a, that's a career. That's a, the whole career. And what's cool I mean, about it is they, uh, he talked about like his agents gave him like, here, here's three options. You know, you can do the year to year thing. You can do a multi-year deal, you know, four or five years, or, you know, you could go your whole career. And he, they were like, he didn't even think about it. He said, let's go whole career. I want to be here. Yeah. I want to build a you know, legacy in this place. So I, I can't remember if it was Albert Pujols mm-hmm. or if it was another, um, you know, significant, you know, slugger who went into free agency, I think at like the age 35. Yeah. Is that when Pujols went to Philly? That sounds about right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the, and there was this gamble. Does anybody want to make a long-term investment on somebody that old? Right. I mean, so in, in this That's case, this could be Tatis's. Is it? It is. Yeah, be Cause that. at 36 <laughs> people could go, yeah, you're, you're old, you're broken. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're not taking you. Well, um, I like it in a lot of ways. Hey, I like just the gamble, right? Okay. Yeah. we like, yeah, So okay, that's the gamble long, right there. Yeah. Right. Like, okay. How, what if the, he's only got 143 games? So, you know, in a year or two, who knows what could happen. And, yeah. but I like it. I like that we're committed to you. I'm committed, you know, back. I love it. I think it's fantastic. Well, I remember a couple of years ago, you and I were talking about the dream team possibility that was, was maybe brewing for Bryce Harper and, yeah. uh, um, oh, Trout. Yes, right. Yeah. Uh, to be together. <laughs> and where was it? Was it maybe going to be Philadelphia? Or was it going to be Washington? I can't remember where it was. But, but, it, yeah, but, one of those but they, two, yeah. they were both up and they were talking about getting the two of them together. Cool. Now, so you got Mike Trout and you got and you got Bryce Harper together. It's like what well, that that would just be uh, fantastic. And I think it was I can't remember if it was Harper or if it was uh, Trout. One of them were talking about they were saying the next place I go. I want it to make, I want it to be my home. Mm. I want, I want to invest right. in that community. Yep. I don't want to go bouncing around. I want to, to have roots somewhere. Yep. And then, you know, think of some of the people who have done that. I mean, first thought came to my mind was Damian Lillard in, in Portland. Oh yeah, sure. Yep. I mean, mm. he has adopted that town. That's his town. He doesn't want to go anywhere. Nowhere he else. had options to go there. Was it to leave? I think two years ago. Yep. And he said, no, I'm, I'm staying because this is, this is my town. These are this is my community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the benefit for San Diego, oh. you know, with something like this is you get, you get an athlete who is making tons of cash <laughs> right. investing in a community. Yep. Um, you know, there's a, there's probably a lot of positive uh, ripples that can go out oh, to make that his place to invest um, not just money, but just, you know, life and, and opportunities for others and, and do some significant things. Yep. You know, I think LeBron James also sets kind of the standard, even though he's, you know, bounced around, around a little I mean, bit, his but... commitment to his hometown, yeah. you know, creating a school, creating yep. opportunities, you know, those, it, I think those are the exciting thing for the, these, um, this type of athletic contract. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, but, I love it. but did you know, so this is the longest 
baseball yeah, contract ever. But it's not the most expensive one. Oh, yeah, right. So that's the other thing. You it's know, like, usually, wait, well, that's I mean, why, of course, he only had 143 games. But. Right. <laughs> well, that's what I, I that's, you know, a smart I, whatever smart, quote unquote, business smart would be like, no, I'll just take a, a, either the year to year or at most a three year because then in three you can renegotiate that. And I'm sure actually probably built in. There probably is some leeway in here to, you know, renegotiate some parts of it or whatever. Yeah. But, but yeah, you know, that the smart business decision is go year to year or a couple years because, you know, maybe this team sucks and you don't want to be associated with that. And for the team, you know, maybe he gets hurt and we don't, you know, we want right. to get rid of him or whatever. But for him, you know, you, there, you could be, imagine going to New York Yankees in three years and how much money you could make, Fernando. Yeah. But no, no, I, I hope it all works out and he sticks with it. And Me too. It all, you know, I mean, cause there's always buyout opportunities and all oh, yeah. kind of stuff, mm-hmm. exclusions mm-hmm. and stuff, but <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's a cool, it'd be great if that would be a model for young athletes to, to think about you know, committing themselves to a, to a community. Of course. Come on now. It doesn't hurt that it's San Diego. I don't know that I'd <laughs> want to live in San Diego. <laughs> really? Well, yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, you know, I might, I, in the back of my mind, I mean, so I grew up, I grew up in San Diego wannabe. The only thing <laughs> we did have was an ocean. That's right. Um, but growing up in Phoenix, you had the, you had the season of summer. Yeah. And you had spring. There was really <laughs> nothing else. Right. And the leaves didn't fall off the tree until the spring new buds pushed them off. I mean, it was, oh, wow. It was a That's bit of an exaggeration, but I mean, it was pretty close. So I didn't, I didn't like that. Okay. Uh, now, since I, what's weird is I really do get uh, seasonal affect is, you know, disorder or whatever it's called and get <laughs> yeah. gloomy in the dark. It's like, I, that would be a prescription. Go to San Diego. For go it. Just yeah, there you no. go. I like the snow. <laughs> anyway. it, was fun. it was a very <laughs> deft decision. Yeah. Deft, but not daft. There you go. Oh, oh, I think I see what's happening here. Speaking of deft versus daft. Yeah, anything leaving you see the funky news? lately? Did <laughs> <laughs> you see you saw the news yesterday? Well, I saw the news yesterday. I didn't really think too much of it because well, well tell me, you know, what what's your favorite uh daft punk lyric? <laughs> well, they're not I know really they're not known for their lyrics. It's always whatever what, they what's what's with. your favorite beat? I like to get lucky, you know. Okay, I, that's fun, it's upbeat, it's you know, I know that's the Cause that's the popular it's that's their biggest hit i think right but by the way that came near the end of their career so what so why are we talking you know, it's interesting 28 years 28 years but only what four albums no yeah four albums but how many how many grammys i mean there were six grammys yeah that's not bad now for four albums yeah the other part of that is uh i went where did I, oh, I, I, I closed the tab, but I thought, what are some of the other long uh, lasting, you know, performers, super groups, et cetera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's so many that, that are still together, but we've forgotten about. Right. Who are you going to tell me? Uh, like, I think Jay and the Americans. <laughs> oh yeah. That was a I trivia mean, question. Oh, was it? Well, okay. Yeah. But they've been are... together for over 50 years or something that like insane? that. Oh, and man. the thing is, it's like the myth of Sisyphus or myth of uh, Theseus. <laughs> 
You know, they replace one plank on the on the ship. That's as, right. As they go around the world in each port, they switch is a plank. It, by the time they get home, it's everything's been replaced. Is it the same ship? I exactly so, right. Because but there are no original members, right? Probably not. I don't even know if there's anybody in there with alive. Like maybe even alive. That's true. I mean, you can still be dead and be part of a group, I guess. But <laughs> so just uh, so did did you watch the uh, the breakup video yeah. for Daft Punk? Yeah. That's, I mean, you know, it, it, it gives you this feeling. This is done. This is it. There's no, it's over, man. And yeah. They, yeah blow up one of the members. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that was, that was weird actually. Well, I wonder if it sends a signal of, okay, one is completely done. The other is going to go do, you know, whatever else, maybe produce production work or something. Or... Here's what I think is like, you know, so whenever one of these you know groups, they break up, there's usually more of a hiatus and then they have their reunion tour. <laughs> right. And Except... so they're going to come out, not <laughs> this uh, spring, but maybe some spring somewhere in the future. Yeah. Or not the reunion tour, but the resurrection tour. Mm, it's possible new parts put together exactly i think i think it's just a ploy for a long time but you have to understand though they are not your that's they are anti that kind of stuff normally well like well you think about it 28 years that's why nobody knows what they look like exactly they're not yeah yeah. so they well maybe they'll just both maybe watch watch some new group starts next month two guys and we see their faces and we get to know you know who they are and everything and and it's them but just it could be, yeah yeah they'll <laughs> have some other name like <laughs> deft fool no I'm just... <laughs> um, pop. but i yeah so i wanted to talk about them just because just i every time they had an album come out literally every time i was like oh they're still a thing they're still yeah. <laughs> they're I mean, still around they're yeah. so under the radar type they're so under the radar but when you hear some of their music it's familiar because you've heard it on commercials you've heard it on athletic you know sports you know broadcasts yeah um you know that's where (laughs) i've usually heard it is like like at a you know basketball game football game commercial break or whatever something like that playing in the background oh they're just fun man it's fun music it's the other thing that i think is interesting and i wonder if breaking up has anything to do with their the novelty of their their helmets Cause now, cause, Everybody. Cause now we have the Mandalorian who doesn't take oh, off a helmet. Oh, yeah, good point. So they're like, oh, so, no, okay, that's yeah, no, it's too mainstream now. I, I think, I, but there might be even something deeper. There might be a Mandalorian, you know, in the next season of the Mandalorian, there might be a Daft Punk appearance. Oh, <laughs> uh, maybe. <laughs> Stephen Colbert tweeted um, after they released that thing and it was kind of made official by their, you know, a publicist or whatever. Right. Uh, he said, I feel like somebody should tell them now is not the best time to be taking off their helmets. <laughs> That's true. Wait, 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 till, wait, wait, wait a little, a little bit. bit. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, so did, so I was, when I was reading this list of the longest lasting group, you know, like in pop music, uh-huh. Do you know who number one was? Well, let's see. Wait, when you say, or do, would like the Rolling Stones be a consideration? They're in the top 10. Okay. Uh, how about Paul Revere and the Raiders? I think they, I think they disbanded. Oh, did they? Okay. Darn no, it. no. I, well, I don't know. <laughs> they, but they might be in there. Uh, Longer, long, so think of this. So the, the Stones started in 1962. Okay. So that is. So it's not even. 
Oh, that's 58 years ago. 58 years. Good night. And so there is a group that's been around longer than they have been. Is it, uh, it's something earring, isn't it? Oh, no. Golden earring? No. What's, oh, but they're in the top 10, I believe, as well. Golden, okay. golden earring? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It? Who is it? <laughs> Blind Boys from Alabama. Oh, come on. Awesome. 60 yeah, the, some odd years. So I think I can't remember, maybe it was Rolling Stone, but they were listed number one as the longest running group. Oh, that's cool. And the lead member now has said something like, oh, I've been in it about 50 plus years. And they said that was an <laughs> understatement. They think he's probably been about 70 years or something like that. Oh, I that's insane. Forgot where I re read that. But um, yeah, but I think it's part of that Theseus idea that, yeah, you, as long as you right. keep generating new people, <laughs> you, you replace what's missing. Uh, right, but, right. but the stones probably are the longest continuous uh, running like, continuous group they've had original. two or three you know member changes but for the most part mm -hmm. um, it's been that same bunch that's crazy oh, wow that is yeah oh that's insane yeah there he is clarence fountain uh founding member 1939 <laughs> to 2018 holy crap <laughs> wow that's a while that is insane yeah wow phew uh, and and you know what it was he died that's how, uh, <laughs> that's how it ended wow. he died dude he was only when he started with the band he was he was only looks like he was only 10 years old oh my word that's insane well, that's why they would have been the blind boys of alabama they I were boys. So. they were literally boys they were children when they started oh my gosh that's, that's pretty insane. cool yeah the oldest member it looks like when they founded was 16 years old Oh, that's so cool. And by the way, of the founding members, there's one, two, three, four, five, six. Only one actually has sight. The rest were blind. They were literally did they, were the did, they, did they come from a blind school, like a school for the blind or it something? It must or? have been, man. That must be what it is. Let's see. Let's now, I don't see. mean to be humorous or ironic, but how do blind people find each other otherwise? <laughs> that's good. I mean, right. Back in the 30s and 40s, I mean, it seems like let me see. Uh, founded in 1939. Uh, first thing together as part of the school chorus at the uh, yep, Alabama Institute for the Negro, Deaf, and Blind. Wow. Ah. Yep. Oh. Wow. Interesting. That is so cool. Man. All right. That's, anyway, okay. <laughs> what else? What else was on our list to talk about? Oh, where did I put that? I got it somewhere too, but uh, oh, here. Oh, there we go. Okay. Uh, let's see. One year. One year. Oh, anniversary. Man. Yeah, one year. Mm -hmm. So it's been a year. A year ago this week, I was in Arizona. And I was I was I was with my dad for his birthday, his 92nd birthday. Mm -hmm. And we were all pretty concerned that he wasn't going to be around for another birthday. Yeah. I remember uh, that. And um He's doing great, by the way. Uh, wow. Uh, li living in assisted living, I think, is, has added not just days and years to his life, but add added quality. Seems like, he's, oh, even though he's been in solitary confinement, pretty much. <laughs> uh, but seeing people, though. He's, he's enjoying it. That's cool. Um, 
he's taken up bird watching. He loves, he's, uh, awesome. he enjoys birds. So I bought him bags of bird seed for his birthday. Uh, <laughs> uh, Cause he was, he was, he was saving the scraps from his meals, letting the crumbs oh. dry out feeding the birds. It's like, oh. all right, I'm going to get you some. Dad, I can get you some bird seed. Come we on. can work on this. <laughs> but, um, but I remember when I was down there watching news, you know, I never, I don't have cable. I'm one of those cord cutter types, you know? And so yeah, when right. I was down there, I was like, okay, I'm flipping through the news channels and hearing these stories about, you know, this, this disease. And I think about maybe it was this time last year that it finally hit Seattle. Yeah. And it went into a retirement home and just devastated that home. Mm -hmm. There was like 200 cases immediately or something like that, but it just seemed like a lot of people, 200 seemed like a lot of people. Oh, I mean, that's, that's, that, that's not, that's nothing anymore. Right. I remember our whole sense of numbers. I remember when it was supposed to go from 15 to 10 to zero and disappear like a disappear. <laughs> and, and, um, but I remember one, I was watching the news going, this is, this is eerie. This is something that there's more behind the scenes. Cause I had just gotten done previously watching the January, uh, what came out in January of 2020 was the documentary on Netflix about the net is, I think it was, it was called pandemic. Mm. And it was a documentary over, uh, covering 2017 to 2019. These researchers looking around the world for, you know, what, where, what, where might the next pandemics come from? Right. And it was, it was incredibly, I don't know how to pronounce this word prescient. Yeah. That's how I say it. Okay. <laughs> or um, prescient sometimes. Yeah. That, they, it's like it, 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 it knew what was coming. And so as yeah. soon as I saw the news, I went, I just watched that. This is not yeah. just a few hundred people in Seattle. This is yep. going to be a mess. Yep. I, yeah. I could never have imagined it being the mess that it is. No, I mean, yeah, I can remember. So I, I remember hearing reports and stirrings of it actually in December when, um, because our music um, director at Lewiston, the church, her daughter lives and works in China. And right. she was getting, uh, she was supposed to come visit here right. and she had to call and tell her mom, you know, hey, I can't talk a lot about it. Cause actually, I don't know if you remember, but China was trying to kind of keep it, keep a lid on it. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, can't fact, talk did, didn't the lead research scientist disappear or die? Yeah, or, yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And so she's like, can't talk a lot about it, mom, but there's some, some stuff, you know, illness going on a little bit. And so I, in our office, as we were planning for Christmas stuff, the music director was like, I was going to go or no, we were going to have this China, but sounds like there's some uh, virus going around and now they can't, they can't leave the country. And I was like, Oh, wow, my goodness. Well, you know, hopefully that stops it from <laughs> spreading. And uh, yeah. Oh Lord. And then yeah, as this news started coming in February, that's when I was like this. Yep. It did not. Here we go. It's coming. Yeah. And then, in March 13th, officially, it was announced, a, I think, a pandemic for Washington. Right. And, uh, yeah. and, 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 and Oregon and Oregon's the yeah, one no, that, mm-hmm. that changed, changed, changed everything in uh, the athletic world. Mm-hmm. Uh, because yep. once Oregon State or once Pac-12, because mm-hmm. Pac-12, as soon as Pac-12 said yep. no spring sports, yep. it, that was a huge ripple effect. And then it changed everything at the high school level. And yes. yeah. So I remember if, March, March 13th, Friday, Friday, Friday March 13th, 13th. Yep. was our track season. 
that day. That was it. <laughs> <laughs> One day of track season. And oh I remember we were sitting at a coach's meeting on Sunday, the 15th, going over uh, the previous, the results from the previous meet and looking, you know, for training plans and setting things up for the next meets when one of our members got the text uh, from the school district. Yep. It's done. You're done. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. <laughs> Close um, it. Shut it down. Yeah. But, but, but it was a month before then, if I understand the history, it was around February 14th, I believe that the, um, the white house or the, you know, knew what was going on. Right. Yep. And how big it was going to be. And it was probably about this time, like a week later that they were trying to put us, you know, put a shine on it not, and say yep. it's not a big deal yeah mm -hmm. and then when was the oh what there's 15 the... cases it'll soon be zero when when was that, that was, was it about now yeah it was either now or i think it might have been like march 7th wow. or something like that or yeah so how um, do you how do you memorialize half a million people who have died in the in the united states i mean part of there's there's a part of me that wants to just be angry and mm -hmm. i don't know if that's the appropriate emotion because I, the anger piece is well, it just didn't have to happen. Right. When 5% of the world's population has 20% of the world's deaths in why, why supposedly like one of the most intelligent countries in the world. Oh, why are we like this? It's, I don't know. Like it, why, it, when you always say, well, it's always that it's 5% of the world's populations and we're 20% of the world's imprisoned or death penalty cases or. Yeah. There's a connection there. I'm telling you between all these things. Is it arrogance? Is it arrogance? Is it, is it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Um, and it's, it's frightening because to me, it says if that behavior, yeah. Linking it to prison populations or, right. you know, linking it to other things, you know, gun violence. Yeah. Um, Disposable. You, know, you, you, you name the, the thing that, that is not good here. And we lead the world in it. Right. That's sad. Um, it all has to do with a lot of uh, death and, and oppression. Why? And injustice. Why? It's a, it, that, so that's where I, I, I want to honor those who have suffered. But, I, but my, my, my emotion moves towards anger. Yeah. Rather than just sorrow. Dismay, dismay a little bit. Numbness. I think because it feels like. I mean, it would be sorrow if there was no uh, no one to pin blame on, if there was no one to hold responsible, if it just seemed random, that right. sorrow is easy. But it feels like there were responsible parties who did not do their part. Yeah. And, and the thing is, they're still around us. Yes, that's right. Um, and, and it's not just, you know, I mean, obviously... It used to be the buck stops here was the way we thought about, you know, and, and yes, Trump clearly shoulders a ton of the blame, but I mean, even in States, you know, Cuomo learning more about his initial moves that led to the deaths of so many. Right. And uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah and then, and then just going to the grocery store and seeing the number of people who aren't taking it seriously. Yeah, and then not, uh, yep. Down to us even. Yeah. Just, um. well, I can you know, okay. Well, you know where my anger comes like when I do see, you know, any type of news and I get it. We're all weary of COVID-19 news, but I still see, well, I saw it from the beginning, but in still to this day, how many laugh reacts there are to yes. COVID-19 news that ticks me off. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's, and I, 
Yeah, I look at something like that where it's, you know, somebody posting on a news story. I haven't seen it so much for personal things. Like if somebody said, you know, my family member of right. somebody I know is suffering with COVID. I haven't seen a laugh emoji right. on that. Yep. Um, but that's true. When it's, news, when it's news or something like that, or I've heard, or here's my concern, that's when it's mm -hmm. like those stupid laughing faces. And I think, are they seeing something ironic that I'm missing or what, what, where's the humor in this? Yeah. Well, you've some of the, if it's associated with some of the comments, uh, you'll also see people say things like we're, you know, basically the sheep idea, you know, like all oh, these silly people still being fooled and misled. I get how, like, uh, I don't know. What? It's, it, it, <laughs> I don't it, know. It, it, it makes me think if I were, if I were 30 years younger, I would think, you know what, family, growing up in New Zealand seems like a really good idea. Yes. If they'd have Boy, us. Uh, yeah, I, yes, that thought has crossed my mind as a, as a father. And Lisa and I, we've seriously talked about it, you know, other, yeah. other countries and why, you know, like, well, here, Craig, like, here's also why, not just even with this, do you know, I don't care uh countries like uh you know whatever sweden norway i don't care that anymore they don't nationally adhere to a quote-unquote christian judeo-christian you know whatever no, that's like not that. even the, yeah. the, they model beliefs that come from it whether or not they is that's their i know they're secular but i mean they they, they care for each other it's it's it it is as if in those countries there is a higher ethic than a capitalistic motivation yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, I was, it, yeah. And that's, you know, that, that drove this uh, pandemic is not wanting to see the stock market come down. Oh yeah. I mean, th th that, that, you know, it's, we, we needed so desperately a year ago to have a Winston Churchill yeah, to come in and say, this is dire, this is bad, this is horrific, this is frightening, this is something worthy to be scared of. Yep. However, because we're smart, because we're strong communities, because we have a history of battling difficult things, we are going to find a way to overcome this. Yeah, see, there's a way. To me, that, that's what a leader does, right? There's a way. Yes, there's a way to present the bad news, but not get us so... That's a ha that's a halftime speech by any decent high school coach. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I know we're yes. down by ten. I know we've only got thirty seconds to go. We got two timeouts left. We, we can, can do this. We can do this. Yes, that's exactly. I battled with people who were like, "What did you want him to do? Go out there and just scare us all to death?" And I was like, "Do you know that those are the only options? Do you know that there's a place in the middle between?" <laughs> between this you know there is i know i and, and the people who are saying that well what did you want and it's like have you watched any <laughs> any any sports movie ever ever get bill belichick up there for it's crying always out the underdog speech you know <laughs> right don't win one for the gipper you go way have back tom, you know have tom brady stand up and deliver a, his pre-super bowl <laughs> game speech Good no, Lord. not Tom Brady. <laughs> he, Maybe not. When, when Tom Brady's losing, he's just so much fun to look at. I don't want him to win. I like I love his pout. That's true. His, his unreciprocated high fives and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But the thing about the thing, you know, to maybe turn it to a more um enchanting uh 
you know, direction here with our conversation is um, concern about the virus, mm -hmm. concern about infection, mm -hmm. and and becoming people who are encased, you know, in gowns and gloves and face masks and stuff. I don't know if you've ever seen a footage from, I usually see it on PBS, like Nova or something like that. Have you seen the teams that created the uh, Perseverance Mars landing craft? Ah, yes. They were all decked, they were all decked out. They had to be uh, scanned for any kind of microbial stuff that they were carrying before they went into the, you know, the final stages of its construction. Yep. And the entire um, thing had to be scanned and have, I forgot what it was, like less than six parts per gazillion of any kind of microbial stuff on it because yeah. didn't want to spread an infection to Mars and then have the problem <laughs> of, of contaminating any samples of anything. Oh, and so, so could you imagine if oh, with our stupidity, we actually infected an entire planet with the disease? There's going to be a movie. There's going to be a movie made about it. We've this. done it over human history, you know, oh, smallpox yeah. oh, yeah. and colonization. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. But it's yeah. like, so good for perseverance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> did, did, you watch any, did you watch any of the film? The I did. Uh, yeah the video of the landing and all that i mean uh, you know you feel it was an exciting moment you know it was pretty cool i, was, I, was I didn't think about that bill that you were talking about there i didn't even consider I was, that. i was listening to one of the scientists on npr and um, i think the, the the commentator was kind of commiserating saying you know when you were all excited and jumping for joy in the control room you couldn't hug each other you just Doing elbow taps and fist bumps just isn't the same, is it? <laughs> That's true. But but see, you still, I don't know. We can still do great things we and can still do things. Keep each other alive. <laughs> oh. Oh yeah, gosh. you know, so if Mars gets going, if things work out and they find out what's what's needed there. In fact, they took along uh, uh, some kind of nitrogen-based chemical, uh, chemical um experiment i think it was nitrogen based to see if they could actually make things grow there and right. actually create oxygen with what's on mars there you go and so and so if what what's that called when they when in, in science fiction movies when they go to a, a bare planet and they create a whole livable uh biosphere yeah biosphere yeah <laughs> um some kind of genesis word but um uh i don't know sci-fi people would know but but the thing is I, th I think there's a piece of that how long do we have to wait until mars becomes the safe place we can go to right um hopefully hopefully within my lifetime you want do you want to go huh you want to go you want to go yeah. see it did, did you see the um the was it netflix i think net or hulu the um hillary Space swank Force? tv oh. show uh, series on on streaming called no. was it called away uh -uh. But it was, it I don't was know. A, I seen it. it's a story of a crew of uh, astronauts going to Mars Oof. and Oof. Uh, Mars has already been set up for their arrival with a bunch of satellites and stuff, dropping things off. And, oh yeah. And they will be the first humans to, to populate or to, to be there on, on Mars. And for one of them, it's most likely their last trip. You know, the others will go there and come home. Yep. Uh, but one of them might probably isn't going to survive the return trip. And that's where the series end. It's like, oh, wait, are they going to, they, they landed. What's going on? What's happening? You know, anyway, but 
there is there would be that this this could be the last trip for people kind of a thing right. because the length of it the the the, the duress it puts on a on a person yeah um, that's right i don't know i'd have i'd have to work that one out it's like i wouldn't mind being the first one of the first people to go to mars i just wouldn't like the trip there it's like can you let me sleep the whole time <laughs> right I, exactly. I really don't want one of those crisis moments where i've got to use all the knowledge i have to figure out how to reroute the the air filtration system no I, that's not me sorry <laughs> you, I, that is not why i'm on this trip <laughs> no I, it's like okay i'm just i'm just gonna go breathe in a paper bag is that okay you know <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny so that is hilarious well 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 uh what else i think that's oh uh you, hey uh one year anniversary of ahmad arbery's death can i tell you one of the best sermons i've ever heard was after uh that news came to light right because you got to remember we didn't learn about his death one month one year ago we learned about it less than a year ago maybe that's part of why i'm thinking i'm wondering if it was probably in march we heard about yeah it. that's right because they withheld you know basically didn't come to light Put a lid on it for a while yeah um but after it finally came out otis moss the third preached a sermon that oh oh know, yes i wow. did see that it was just you know like approach you know like uh, i think just struck this tone of like both like grief but also like you know keep the running he was uh grabbing onto the running theme you know keep running you know keep running uh idea and it's yeah it's so good but uh craig what if we ended the episode with the um common hymnal song well, I think that's a beautiful song. And if you want to, when I'm playing this song, you could narrate the words at the beginning so people can see what the beginning is there saying, go. even though it's, you know, it's just the written part of this, this video. Okay. We'll just play a little bit of this before, and then we'll go ahead and fade that out. So nice. The exact number of unarmed black and brown people killed by U.S. law enforcement each year remains unknown. Society is so numb that we do not even have a public record of their numbers. The blood of my brother was spilled on the street. He was the rose that grew out of the concrete. Same ground where his body lay Like rose petals on a stony grave Why do we fear each other From the lies of yesterday I'll never know But look at all these roses With petals on the ground They call this one my ground Asking you to look at all these roses with petals on the ground. They call this one Trayvon Martin. I'm asking you to look at all these roses with petals on the ground. They call this one Type Shawnee. I'm asking you. Look at all these roses with petals on the ground. 
He was the rose that grew out of the concrete. Christian witness is lost when empathy for the suffering of the most marginalized is neglected. As much such apathy, I can't finish it. <laughs> the ad came. But, uh, oof. Well, I'd allow you to skip the ad here in just a second. Anyway. <clears throat> wow. Uh, Christian witness is lost when empathy for the suffering of the most marginalized is neglected. As such, apathy to the murders of innocent people is one of the great tragedies of our time. Indeed. We watch the same people who campaign for the dignity of unborn life fight efforts to protect life outside the womb. When a grieving mother pleading for compassion holds up a sign that asks for the life of her black child to matter and believers lash out at her, it's time for some soul searching. Well, those people are amazing artists. They um, are. I love uh, the common hymnal. Um, Definitely anybody who uh, wants to go to their Patreon page, support them. They're just such a great uh, organization right now. I think I keep going back to their, their page, going to their music, reading their blog, because I think they, over and over. they have got uh, one of the most profound voices, I would say right now, for me at least, the most yeah. profound voice in, 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 in music and where music and politics meet, uh, where music and, and social concern meet. And, and, and spirituality. Wow, so good religion yeah good that's good thank you craig yeah fun. all righty all right that was a great episode covered a lot of ground it was we so did. good having anthony with us we did. ah yeah yeah we should uh we should have con consider anthony as a either a correspondent or even a third unofficial member whenever He'd he wants to love to hear more from him you know yeah. we're still we're still working uh i'm still working to get common hymnal on here for a, oh, a conversation that'd be amazing uh, and that would be great to hear from them. 
All righty. All right. Well, thanks for a great conversation. Yeah. Next week, uh, be ready for lectionary resources for the That's month. Right. Of so if you're March. not ready for Easter yet, uh-oh, it's getting too late. It's coming. But we'll help you. Yeah, we'll help you. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be on us. <laughs> All right. right. Good to see you. Gotta go. Gotta get my gal. My gal. Like a good concluding phrase, like, and blah 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 (laughs) blah. And that's all that's holy. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) All right. And that's all that's holy this week. Nothing else is. Just nothing else is holy this week. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Take care, holy man. Uh, (laughs) See you, Craig. See you. Bye bye. Track coach, Craig. There we go. Oh yeah, Mennonite track coach, or no, Mennonite <laughs> track and field, or whatever it was. I forgot how you did. I, I, I like that description. That was funny. I didn't think that through. Sometimes I don't think. Through oh, but my, you caught it. And we said that we didn't throw the violent. That's the, uh, just just to be safe, nonviolent only. <laughs> All right. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining Cody Stoffer and me, Craig Morton, for this podcast. We simply try to record and upload without much editing. What you get is live conversation with all its ignorance and insight, wisdom and foolishness, sometimes more of one than the other, and occasionally profound things will be said, but entirely by accident. Make sure to follow us on Facebook at the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment. And look for upcoming Facebook live podcasts where you can interact with our guests. Also, we can be found on Twitter as at All That's Holy. Our intro and outro music is by At the Speed of Darkness. Support At the Speed of Darkness on Bandcamp and buy his music there, as well as follow him on Instagram at At the Speed of Darkness. 